Well, good morning. I'd like to uh, uh, update you on where we are in our annual capital campaign. We call it our journey of faith, and we are nearing the end of paying for our facilities. We're hopefully within a two-year window of being debt-free as a church, but let me show you where we are. Last year, um, our church pledged, 195 families pledged $191,000, families and singles. So far this year, towards the next year, towards 148 families have pledged $161,000. So there's about 118 families that are not participating. Um, And let me just say that if we're going to hit the two-year goal of being debt-free, we we need your involvement. You you can't sit this one out, please. Uh, Here's an example. If those 118 families and singles gave up one venti caramel macchiato at Starbucks a week, We'd be back, back on, that's $30,000 more towards this need. And um, so think about how you can help. Even small gifts matter. And if, you, if you're in a place that can't, you can't give, you've lost your job, and to make a commitment would be unwise, then commit to pray for us on a weekly basis for the needs of our church. And as God enables you to give, join in when you can. But uh, please don't sit this out. Uh, your, your, even your small gifts matter. So uh, get your commitments in this week, and we'll hopefully announce a much larger total next week as we conclude this year's campaign. But we're so close, and your help really does matter a a great deal. So let's pray about that need as we open up the scriptures this morning. Bow with me, please. Lord, help us. Don't think our need is for more money. Help our hearts, God. We are... We, we trust our money and we hope in it more than we should. And so help us to be generous towards the needs of our church so that we might be generous always, everywhere. Train us in this, Lord. And now as, as we sit under the teaching of your word, may it be a joy to us, just what we need this morning. May your spirit take it and skillfully apply it to each of us as we have need. And this we ask and trust in Christ's name. Amen. All right, as you've picked up, the season of Advent is upon us, and as we ready our hearts for Christmas, I want us to look, the next couple of weeks, we'll look at the, the events that lead up to the birth of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. So we'll be in Luke chapter 1 um, this week, and next, looking at some of those events, we're going to focus on today on the story of Zechariah. And if there is a poster boy for the season of Advent, it's Zechariah and his story. And so I hope it will be an encouragement to you um, this season as you get ready to celebrate the birth of Christ. It starts in verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. We read that in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So Luke starts us with this contrast. You've got Herod the Great, who was renowned for his cruelty and near insane jealousy towards anyone who would even 
pose a threat to his reign up against this aged, righteous priest, Zechariah, and his wife, Elizabeth. Um, Herod epitomizes evil. These two kind of are the picture of righteousness. And uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. When you read the story, think of your grandparents. These are old people uh, that are featured in our story here. And they are godly folk. Luke tells us, had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And in those days, in their culture, to be barren was often interpreted as a sign of a spiritual defect, especially in the wife. It was, in the, in the, in the thinking of the day, a sign of God's disfavor on your life. Because after all, wasn't fertility a sign of his blessing? And so... Um, they didn't have fertility specialists back then to diagnose, so every diagnosis, every case of infertility was spiritually diagnosed. Okay. They believed God closed a woman's womb because he held something against her. Um, so a barren woman was often a disgraced woman. That's what Elizabeth herself will call it, a reproach, a disgrace. And sometimes a husband would even go so far as to divorce his wife because of this um, supposed defect in her spiritual life. So it was for Elizabeth a kind of scarlet letter that she bore all of her life until old age. And, um, you know, I want, I want to be clear about some, something here because some of you who have not been able to bear children feel a little bit this way when you come to North Wake, also known as the Church of the Exploding Nursery. Um, <laughs> Uh, your unfulfilled longing to have a child can make you wonder what's going on when you see everyone around you having baby showers and things like that. Um, But I want you to know today that the sentiment of their day was sadly mistaken, and you simply cannot draw a straight line from the teaching that children are a blessing from, from the Lord, which is true, to the teaching that every case of infertility or childlessness is an indicator of his disfavor. The scriptures do not teach that. Childlessness remains, even in our day, often a mystery. And if we're going to learn anything about childlessness from Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth, it would be that God is at work even in and through this sorrow, to bring good to his people. Okay? Um, but you this morning who struggle with this, you may especially be able to relate better than the rest of us to Zechariah and Elizabeth's, especially Elizabeth's disappointment and struggle over this matter. Plus you add to the fact that it was simply too late for them. Uh, they were too old to bear children. That's the point. Okay? It was no longer physically possible for them to have children. Suggestions range from them being in their 60s all the way to their 80s. I read one apocryphal guesstimate that said um, Zechariah might have been 99 and Elizabeth was 88. Okay? They're old people. They are too old to bear children. Um, for them to conceive was inconceivable. 
But in our story, beautifully, I don't think that word means what you think it means. So look with me at verses uh, 8 and 9. It says, now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, Zechariah was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So this is like Zechariah wins the priestly lottery, right? And he is chosen to go and do this special sacred task. Now, there are 18,000 priests in and around Jerusalem um, in these days. And of those 18,000, one was chosen for this task. And the lot fell on Zechariah. It was the experience of a life, a one-in-a-lifetime experience. And the high point of a priest's ministry was to be able to go in and offer this offering um, in the temple, in the holy place. Verse 10, the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. So he goes into the temple. He goes to the most holy place. He prays. He puts incense on the coals and symbolic of the prayers of God's people. It rises up. And then he sees in the midst of this sacred, most sacred ritual, an angel appears on the right side of that offering. And this is deeply troubling to Zechariah. An angel has not, there have been no recorded incidents like this for at least 400 years. Okay, we have no record of God speaking, angelically or otherwise, for 400 years. And when angels showed up, they were terrifying. People would fall on their faces as though dead, um, tempting to worship these angels. They were so awesome, um, but in fear of their life. Um, oftentimes. And so when this angel appears, uh, Zechariah's fear is justified, right? But the angel calms his fears and explains his message. Verse 13, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. The angel is coming to deliver an answer to Zechariah's prayer. Don't miss that. This is an answer to prayer that's playing out here. In the most obvious sense, that is through the birth of a son that will be named John. Okay. And I think this is probably a prayer that had been prayed long, long ago. Because as the story unfolds, you'll see that Zechariah had no expectation that this was going to happen. This is a total shocker to him. Um, And the stun factor of this announcement is heightened because the angel is clear um, that the son will come through Grandma Elizabeth, okay? Not some younger, more viable candidate. It says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And the gender there is made clear too, right? He, He says, it will be a son. Now, our sonograms are good, right? You can find out the gender of your child in less than 12 weeks in the womb. But they're not this good, right? Nobody has the gender reveal party before you conceive, okay? It does that. We don't do that. We can't do that. Um, So this is not detection. This is prediction. This is prophecy, 
And don't miss, it's an answer to Zechariah's prayers. So be encouraged, church. When we pray, when God's people pray, unexpected, unpredictable spiritual stuff happens. Okay? Zechariah is praying in that temple. Incense is being burned as a symbol of prayer. The people are outside praying, and it's in the midst of this prayer-saturated space and time that, that 400 years of silence are broken, and an angel comes and brings an answer to Zechariah's prayer, far beyond anything he could have imagined. So God releases his power and mercy when we pray. When we pray faithful prayers, unexpected things happen beyond what we even ask. And part of training yourself to be people who pray here at North Wake is, is to come to our monthly prayer gathering. It happens tonight at 6 o'clock in this room. Okay. We gather to pray and to train ourselves to pray. Tonight will be uh, first affirming our budget, which you've already seen and, and we've addressed your questions and concerns. We'll affirm that tonight and then we'll pray through it and ask God to provide for the needs that are expressed in it. We'll also have time to pray for any families that are facing financial need. Okay. We want to come and pray and see what God will do. Unpredictable, above and beyond kind of stuff. And we want to pray together tonight at 6 o'clock. Um, so this set of uh, grandparent-type people now are going to be first-time parents. Elizabeth will bear a son, but not just any son. He's going to bring joy not just to his parents, but to many, we see. And here's, in verse 15, we find out why. It says, um, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he, must be, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So the angel says, you're not just going to have any son in your old age. Your son is going to be great before the Lord. Okay. And it says he will be a teetotaler, right? He's not going to be going down to the brewery after work. He's going he's to abstain from all of that. And not because he's enrolled at SEBTS, but it's a symbol, it's a symbol of his devotion and, and uh, commitment to the Lord. It's, a, it's a symbolic of that. So, so this is not the best case for insisting upon abstinence from all alcohol. Okay? Um, if you want to do that, you probably would have to buy into the rest of his diet as well, which was bugs and honey. So this is not your best case uh, to argue that. Maybe you could do that from some other scriptures, but probably not here. So this promised son... He's going to bring repentance and he's going to bring restoration to God's people. He's going to bring it in families, but most importantly, he's going to bring it between his, the people and their God. And he will be the one 
who precedes the coming of the Lord and prepares the way for him. And so we know that this little baby John is going to grow up to become whom we know as John the Baptist. This is foretelling the birth of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is the one that Jesus would say, he's the greatest man ever born of a woman. And John the Baptist is the one who's going to point out Jesus and say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this may be the fuller prayer of Zechariah that's being answered here. Not just that he would bear a son, but while he's in that temple, he's praying that the deliverer of God would come and rescue his people from their oppression and their sin. And now the son that he had prayed for so long ago comes to point the way for this deliverer. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth have gone from barrenness to bearing the greatest man who was ever born, according to Jesus. But this is totally beyond belief for Zechariah. He just, he just can't get his, his mind around it. This is how he responds in verse 18. He says to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is, he says, and he says this very delicately, advanced in years. He's advanced in years. And what he does here, essentially, he says, how can I know this? It's a, almost like a veiled request for a sign. Maybe it's just too good to be true for him, right? Uh, maybe a lifelong dis of despair and disappointment about this had simply eliminated any expectancy of any hope from him. But for whatever reason, this godly grandpa doubts and he disqualifies himself from usefulness to God in this way. Not me, God. You couldn't use me this way. I'm too old. Okay. He just can't believe it's true. And you really, I suppose you can't fault him because it's physically and medically impossible. He is old and his wife is advanced in years. Okay. So... Godly people doubt. We, we shouldn't, but we do sometimes. Um, we wonder, will, will God provide for us? Will, will, he, will he rescue us? Will he, does he care about us? Can he really even use me? Could he use me after all that I've done and all that I've been through? And when, when that happens, when we yield to doubt, like Zechariah, God often lovingly purifies our unbelieving hearts, and that involves suffering over time. Okay. That's the remedy that's now going to be applied to Zechariah's doubting heart. In verse 19, the angel answers him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. It's as though Gabriel is saying, you want a sign? How about an angel dispatched from the very presence of God, an angel so glorious that when he appeared to Daniel in the Old Testament, the, the guy who wasn't even afraid of lions, Daniel bowed down low in fear. How would, 
how would that work for a sign for you, right? I like the way Pastor Mark Mitchell says it. He says, Gabriel was a famous angel um, who would have been well-known to Zechariah. So not only do you have an angel, you have a mad angel. (laughs) And not only do you have a mad angel, you have a famous mad angel. And he says, don't you know who you're talking to? Don't you know where I've been hanging out? What kind of son did you want? What kind of sign did you want? And then he says, Gabriel picks up his remote control and pushes the mute button and says, if you want a sign, I'll give you a sign. You will be unable to speak until my promise is made good. And that's what happens next in verse 20. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now, Somehow, I don't think this is the kind of sign that Zechariah was looking for, right? Um, But because he would not believe that God could do this through him and that God would do this for him, Zechariah gets a sign. In my mind, this, this resembles a time out from God. I want you to go sit over there for nine months and not say a word, right? That's kind of what seems to be going on here. You will not be able to speak for nine months until the prophesied child is born, Zechariah. And so, God makes him silent for nine months to chase out his unbelief and to strengthen his faith. Silence is the tool that God chooses to use to strengthen his faith. And that seems to be, silence seems to be a posture where God has access to us and he changes us. Isaiah wrote these words. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved and in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. You could say, you were too busy. Trust me, it's much better to seek God in silence voluntarily than to have it inflicted upon you. Do you ever do that? Is that part of your, your pursuit of God? Where you spend longer times alone with God in silence? I would encourage you, you ought to try it voluntarily. Go for a long walk in the woods and make it a time of prayer. Um, sit alone in the morning for, for the whole morning and just meditate on the word and pray. Spend the time in prayer. What might God say? What might he do with you and through you if he had your undivided attention for even half of a day? Do you believe that the promises of God could come through you? And they can come true for you. For you, not for somebody else, not for me, not for one of the professors or the elders, but for you. The Apostle Paul writes, God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Could God be
be desiring to do some really good work through you? Could he use you in spite of your past? In spite of, in spite of how shy and quiet you are? Could God be wanting to use you to proclaim Christ to the world? Let me challenge you. This Advent season, the busiest time of the year, set aside a little bit more time to sit in silence before the Lord and see what he might want to do through you. Open up your Bible and pray and see what God has to say. And I know for some of you are thinking, oh my gosh, a half a day alone in silence, I'd go mad. Um, we, we train people all the time in this. And this is a fabulous exercise for a small group to do together. And small group leaders, if you want to meet with us um, to have us equip you to lead your small group through this, we'd be glad. It's transformative for groups to go through this process. Um, and so for the price of a cup of coffee, we'll train you how to do this. Um, so grab one of our pastors and let us help you with that. But the people, it says in verse 21, were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. So the people are waiting outside the temple and they start to get concerned because they notice it's taking Zechariah a long time to come out. And they all know this Old Testament story. It happened in the book of Leviticus, where some priests offered what they called strange fire, unauthorized worship to God, wrong way. And they were killed on the spot. So improvisation in temple worship was frowned upon, and a priestly misstep could carry the death penalty. And they're wondering, did, I, did Zechariah screw up? But at last he comes out and he starts like doing charades, right, to explain to them, you know, uh, angel or whatever, whatever, however he did it. And they, were, they figured out he saw a vision uh, in the temple. And so the first of the angel's predictions has come true, right? Zechariah cannot speak. And the second prediction is about to come true. So verse 23, when his time of service was ended, Zechariah went to his home, and after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Now, if you read this carefully, paying attention to the footnotes, and especially those of you who are reading in the original language, um, you'll, you'll read it like this. He finishes his week of service, and he goes home, wink, wink. Okay? It's there in the footnotes in the original languages somewhere. He goes home, wink, wink, and she conceived. Okay? He went home, and she conceived. Ed Rowell says, I hope this doesn't sound irreverent, but I sure wish the Bible recorded the conversation that went on when he got back home to his wife, Elizabeth. Although he couldn't speak, he could read and write, so I imagine Zechariah wrote a note and passed it to Elizabeth. She read it and responded, the angel said what? And so now you want to do what? He says, husbands have been known to come up with some creative excuses, but this one seemed over the top to her. But God keeps his word, right? God keeps his word, and the impossible promises come true. Elizabeth 
in her advanced age has conceived. Even when it seemed inconceivable, even to someone as righteous as Zechariah, God has made an outlandish prediction. The grandparents shall be with child, and God has kept his word. In his sovereign power, he has made it so. As Elizabeth says in verse 25, the Lord has done this for me. And Elizabeth, throughout this, unlike Zechariah who wavers, every time Elizabeth shows up, she's a woman of great faith and trust in God. So all of you Liz's and Betsy's and Betty's out there have an awesome namesake, right? This Elizabeth. Skip all the way down to verse 57 with me. We'll, we'll cover the interim next week. This is where Luke returns to Zechariah's story, and we find out that it's really not Zechariah's story. Verse 57, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. So, so it happened. Another fulfillment of the angelic prophecy. Zechariah cannot speak. Elizabeth conceives, and now it's a son who is born, just like Gabriel predicted. And many rejoiced, just like Gabriel predicted. It's a down payment of the many who would rejoice over the life of this baby boy when he grows and fulfills his ministry. Verse 59, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. This is an obedience to the law, and evidently this is a, um, a, like a group activity, circumcision, because all their friends and relatives are there, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. He's named at this event. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by that name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, an early reference to the use of the iPad in Christian ministry, <laughs> and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, right? So God has fulfilled his word. And Zechariah and Elizabeth have determined that they will obey God's instruction, even in the little details of what this baby's name will be. He will be called John. And that in the face of some pretty serious peer pressure. I mean, you thought you had nosy neighbors? These want to name the baby for her. Um, you got meddlesome family? They don't even consult. When she says no, they go and ask John. They want to pick the baby's name for her, but Zechariah and Elizabeth are determined. What God has asked, we will do. Okay. And over these silent months, these listening months, Zechariah's unbelief has been banished and his faith in God's promise has been made strong now. Stronger than his doubts, stronger than the pressure of family and friends, stronger than tradition, he will obey God now. He will trust God now. And you wonder, how did Elizabeth come to know that his name was John? Probably, um, you know, more charades, and again, the writing tablet, John probably communicated that to her about his vision. Um, and so we see his discipline has served its purpose, right? In spite of that one wobble of doubt, Zechariah now returns as a, one who is righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. And so, 
So this morning, I hope that encourages those of you who suffer and are bearing sorrow. You know, God, God can be at work and often is at work in those things. May your time of sorrow and suffering be a time when you seek God in quietness and in trust. Well, immediately, Zechariah's mouth was opened, his tongue was loose, and he spoke, blessing God. Fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them lay them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And we know what he will be. He will be John the Baptist, who prepares the way of the Lord to come. He'll be the greatest man ever born of a woman. And Zechariah's first words are those of blessing and praising God, and they're preserved for us here. God honors Zechariah's faith. His voice is restored, and he uses it to praise God and to impact his neighbors. So Luke records the words of Zechariah's newfound voice in faith for us to hear. Let me just read them to you. Starting in verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore <clears throat> to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is his praise to God. And it's interesting um, that only two of all these verses are explicitly about the miracle baby that he holds in his hands. Right? Verse 76 and 77 focus specifically on this amazing birth and this amazing child um, that we know to be John the Baptist. But this aged father, now holding in his arms this miraculous, long-prayed-for child, unbelievably, Elizabeth's and his own flesh and blood, um, prophesied to be so mightily used of God, his, his heart is captivated by someone greater, something greater that God has done. One greater even than his own miracle son. You pick it up in here, he sees and believes that the Messiah is coming. In fact, the language says that he, God has already come. And that he's here in Mary's womb. Likely, he knows about all this because of an encounter that Mary had with Elizabeth. We skipped it. We'll return to it next week. Where young Mary comes to aged Elizabeth and finds Elizabeth pregnant. And Elizabeth prophesies that Mary's pregnancy 
will lead to the birth of Elizabeth's Lord. Um, and so, Zechariah, and guys, pay attention to this. Zechariah hears from God through the words of his godly wife. Okay? This is how God speaks to men most of the time, fellas, through your godly wife. So, brothers, shut up and listen. That's the kind of the lesson from Zechariah in terms of marital bliss. Listen to your godly wife. She brings God's kindness to you. But Zechariah says that God himself has come, the horn or the power of salvation, the Lord, the rising sun who brings light into a dark world. God is bringing to pass what Abraham, what was promised to Abraham 2,000 years before. Okay? And what the prophet said would come from the house of David who lived 1,000 years before. There is one coming who now already has come and he will bring redemption and salvation from those who hate us, rescue from enemies, forgiveness of sins, the very great mercy of God. And so after nine months of silence, Zechariah believes in something much greater than just that his aging wife would bear him a son. He believes that the Christ, that the Savior, has come. He believes the promises God made to Abraham and to David. He believes the promises of redemption and forgiveness of sin, that they are fulfilled in Mary's son, who we know is Jesus. And so always, always at this season, the question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that Mary's child, born on, the Christmas, on that Christmas day, is the savior of the world, your savior? Will you trust him to be your savior? Will you trust him to bear your sins? John, John would grow up to be John the Baptist, and he would say this about his little cousin, right? His younger cousin, Jesus. He says in John 1.29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you believe that he can take away even your sin, so you don't have to bear it anymore. So, Today could be your day to stop bearing the penalty of your own sin and trust that Christ has done and will do that for you. Maybe all the suffering up until now was to bring you to this point, to this place, to this day, so you could trust in Christ. To trust him to be your sin bearer and your king whom you live to serve and worship all your days without fear, as Zechariah says. But there's another thing, there's a second thing in addition to believing that the Christ has come in Mary's child. He also believes, and I think this is helpful for us today especially, that God can even use him in this process. Zechariah believes he can be useful to God to present Christ to the world. Before, he looked at his limitations, and he said, you know, God can't use me. I'm too old. But now he obeys, and he's greatly used by God beyond what he ever imagined. I can't, and probably beyond what he ever prayed for. Um, do you believe that God can use you in greater ways than you can even imagine? 
that he can use you? Or do you think your limitations are too great, your past is too dark, your, your personality is too shy and quiet to be useful, to share Christ? God wants to use you to present Christ to the world. And this morning, I just want to know if you would say yes to that. Yes, Father, I believe you can use me in greater ways than I can imagine. And I want to be available for that. Maybe, maybe he wants to do it amongst your family over this holidays. Or maybe, maybe he wants to have you do it at work to speak of Christ. Somebody at work, maybe that's why he's got you there. Maybe at school. Or maybe halfway around the world, maybe you're the one who will learn their language and culture and speak the story of the Christ child who became the Savior to them. And so this morning, the worship team's going to come, lead us in close, and I'd just like to know, if you are willing to say yes to that and you sense God calling you to say yes, during this time of response, why don't you come forward for prayer and kind of put your yes on the altar, you know? Just as a first step of obedience and, and just say, yes, God, I'm, I'm available. I believe that you could even use me to share Christ with the world, with the people around me. And you may have some very specific people in mind that God has put on your heart. And I encourage you just to come and pray during this time. So let's stand. Let's worship this Christ together and uh, come for prayer as, as God leads you.